Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host, Oliver Jones. This episode is with Thomas McGillcuddy, founder of impact investment platform Ticker. Ticker is a venture-backed investment app that aims to bring impact investing to the mass market. Tom charts his own journey from a young wealth manager to a life-changing elevator ride that transformed his career forever. He enthusiastically and optimistically shares his thoughts on the world of ethical investing and how it can contribute to a brighter future. We again apologise for some choppy audio. COVID still means that we're recording remotely and internet connections are fickle things. However, we hope you enjoy the episode as it's a real treat. So without further ado, we bring you Thomas McGillcuddy. Hey Tom, thanks for taking time out for us. I've just been just been fiddling through your through your app, and it's 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 pretty impressive. And we want to talk about that, obviously, uh, in a bit more detail. But before we get to that, can you tell us a bit, or tell our audience rather, a bit about you and how how your experience has led to, to Ticker? Yeah, I'll um I'll, I'll start specifically at the start of my career, really. Uh, even though I could talk for uh, hours and hours about before that, but when I um. When I was 20, 22, I started working at, at Barclays on one of the graduate programs there. This is like 2010, 11. Um, on my first day, I met Matt, who's the co-founder of Ticker. Um, we were the uh, we were the two token Northern grads on the grad intake, and they uh, they put they put us in shared accommodation together for for two months in Canary Wharf. And uh, I'm from just outside Manchester, he's from Liverpool, um, and uh, we became close friends very very quickly. Um, but I think. Matt and I talk about this a lot. When we first started working in the industry, we definitely felt like outsiders because we weren't from a finance or economics background. We're the first people in our families to go to university, all that kind of stuff. And we felt like um, there was a shiny, like a complex and um, uh, world that we were going into that we didn't fully understand. And then what kind of when we got in there, we started to think that it was like unnecessarily complex. Um, and and then from that, our, you know, thinking that our family and friends and the people that we grew up with have kind of been left out of an industry that we think they should be included in. And we actually had that conversation like two weeks after we started. I remember it on the, on, uh, in, the, uh, in the flat that we were sharing. And we didn't know at the time, but that was like one of the central foundations to the, to the, to the future business we found um, with Ticker. And then um, about two, three years into to working in the industry, I got very disillusioned with what I was doing. And uh, it didn't really mean anything to me. Um, I was learning a lot. But I wanted to have some like kind of direct meaning connected to my work. I'm the kind of person that can't separate those two aspects of themselves. I started to care a lot about the climate and social issues, and I just wanted to do that all day. I wanted to express that all day, and I couldn't see a way of doing it in financial services. So I thought about leaving the industry. But as like a temporary stopgap, I joined um, uh, a U.S. investment firm called Wellington Management, and really the idea was that I would spend 12 months thinking about. Uh, my future life, my career outside of the industry. And um, basically on my first day, I met a guy called Eric Rice who um, who explained to me, it was a com- completely random meeting and he, I actually met him in the lift and he explained to me he was working on this idea in his spare time to launch this investment strategy that had a dual purpose. It would try and beat the market every year, but he would only do it by investing in companies that were outright trying to solve a pressing world issue. And it, this was like 2013, it was like before impact investment as a term 
kind of is what it is today, like in 2021. So I was like, right, I need to work on that idea. And by the time the lift hit the ground floor, I'd convinced him to let me work on the idea with him in my spare time. So obviously I joined to do something else and I'd given myself another job straight away. And then I started doing that over evenings, weekends and, uh, you know, in the mornings. He was based in San Francisco as well. He was just visiting London that week. And uh, I did that for about a year. And then that became my day job. And by the time I left Wellington Management, 2018, there was four or five of us managing a billion quid in 50 investments around the world. And every year we did it, uh, we beat the market and we did it by investing these amazing stories that you could tell your parents why they're a good thing for the world, they get it. And Matt, um, Matt had come to a similar point at Barclays. He was advising charities on the, like sustainable and socially responsible investments and me and him were best friends at this point. So he texted me in 2016 and was like, you know, there's no way for us to invest our own money um, in the way that we're doing in our day jobs. And we think our friends would really like, you know, want to do that. So should we work on the idea? Uh, and that was like the first conversation that sparked off like a chain of events to kind of get to the point of where, of where we were working on something that was coherent and, and ticker. And as we did that, we left our job in 2018, but those two years, what we realized more in those two years was it wasn't just uh, a way for, for our friends in the industry to invest. It possibly could be, we felt, the way to get people to invest that have never invested before because they understood it and it meant something to them. Um, and because we cared deeply about financial inclusion because of our entrance to the industry and that first kind of foundational thinking we did in those first two weeks, we saw it as a way to kind of match that accessibility element, but with positive impact underpinning it. So you could do two things at the same time. You get people to invest for their own future, which is great for them. And you can do so by having a positive impact, which is great for everyone else. And that was like the foundation of, of how of why we founded the business. Okay. And if you were going to give Ticker the, the one line bootstrap, um, how do you sell it to people now? How do I sell it to people now is well, today what we're known as is an impact investment app for first time investors. But in two or three years time, we'll just be known as an impact app where people come to positively impact the world and investing is one of the ways in which they do it. But it's not limited to that. What we care about as individuals is having positive impact in everything that we do. And I think that's true for our generation. So investing is a key way to do it, but it's not limited to that. We want to bring out a suite of products and, and solutions that allow our customers to amplify their impact and have more of it every day. That's what we care about. So as I understand, you, you started with the, the impact investment tool. And now you've built out a carbon offset and you've recently launched, which is how we first got connected, your, your partnership scheme to help, I guess, to help your community make, make ethical purchases. Yeah. So it'd be good to t talk through each of them. So maybe presumably it was the impact investment uh, yeah. functionality that, that came first. So how did you go about building that in terms of, you know, the, the algorithm and then communicating that to, to the initial community? Yeah, so the impact investment element of the business was the entire idea at the beginning. Um, it was the start. And it was it was the only thing that the app did. Um, so how the, the investment side of the business is built by myself and Matt, how we build portfolios, how we um, structure them in like an asset allocation. It sounds complex, but it, but, it, but it's it's our bread and butter because of our backgrounds. And really, that's about for us packaging up investments into impact themes that we think are understandable and attractive to our customers. So on the platform at the moment, we have people, planet, and then you can combine the two and people and planet. So it's really people is like about human empowerment and life essentials. Um, and planet is climate heavy, obviously. Um, so what we do is we look for areas of the, of the stock market to invest in that have themes that are related to those, to those problems. And we package them together in those understandable kind of theme ideas in the background. It's, it's, it's simple for us to manage and set up. Um, and 
in terms of getting it out to people, the first 1,000 customers were like the hard yards. You know, like, you know you, everyone you'd ever met, um, everyone you'd ever spoke with at an event, do every event you can, da, 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 get them to tell friends, and then you get to like 1,000 customers. And then it wasn't until we were, you know, we were a few thousand uh, before we started doing any marketing whatsoever. Um, we, we have, and we still do, have growth primarily driven as a majority from referrals and word of mouth. So we do some paid marketing and paid acquisition to get the word out, uh, and that's important for us. But we learn a lot from we learn a lot from that in a high frequency way about the messages and the visuals and things that resonate with our core audience, and it helps us to inform product design, um, and it helps and that helps us to boost referrals and word of mouth. So it's a uh, it's uh, it's growth primarily driven by the users and the user experience that they have. That's how we grow. Um, and then the other areas of the business have come on. The way we th- way I think about the other areas of the business is. Investing is one of the key ways to impact the, impact the world, but it's not the only way. Um, the way to think, the way we think about those three, those three areas together is invest in the solutions, spend better, and offset the rest. No one can have a zero footprint, so you're always going to need to do something with that. And if you can offset that using the best projects in the world possible and retire the credits, that's the impact from that. And then spending better, be as sustainable and as impactful with your expenditure as you can be, and we'll, we'll bring more on that in, out in the future. So you have more of a you have a one-stop shop for impact, basically. You have a place to come to have positive impact, whatever you can with your money and your consumption. That's kind of how we see it. What drives the behavior more um, for your users? Is, is it the impact that they're having in terms of the causes that they're supporting, let's say, in line with some of the SDGs, or is it about financial return, or is it a blend of both? Uh, it's a blend of both, but, but, there's, but there's some differences in it. And I think what we aspire to do is what someone like, I know they're a cliched example now, but someone like Tesla's done for the car industry, which is, yes, they're electric car, but the reason why people shout about Tesla and the reason why they get so much attention is it's just the best car too. So it's the best mm-hmm. car with a kicker. And the kicker is the retention factor, the referral factor, the smugness factor. That's why people talk about them so much. But fundamentally, it's the best tech and it's the best car. I think we have to aspire to be the same, uh, the same thing. So we have to deliver the best in class investment experience or whatever the experience goes beyond that and then the underpinning kicker for retention referrals and growth is this embedded positive impact this our dna and our brand that's the way we think about it and i think the way internally we kind of think about the motivation is yes we have some impact first customers who who care primarily about the impact it's probably 50 25 percent but the vast majority of our customers because 90 percent of them have never invested before they want that core need taken care of and then then they allow the impact to come through basically and i think that's uh, something we've understood more as we've scaled. Um, you have to take care of that, that that first need and then they can feel comfortable with the rest. And I think everyone in our generation is motivated by some impact at some point where it ranks on the priority scale. That's up to us to kind of get to that point and make it about the impact, but we've got to take care of the rest through like excellent product and excellent delivery first. Yeah, I've, and I've really enjoyed being a customer of, of a, a tree planting app that's on a monthly subscription. Um, what I want to know from, from your side of you, the view is, is I put money into it and, and I'm informed that more trees are planted and that's a, that's a really nice kickback. What I must confess I don't really know is what it's like behind the scenes on the arrangement side between the, the place where the trees are being planted, um, how difficult that is to arrange and, and how you know, one hopes that that's like genuine intent and hopes that I wouldn't see that forest in 20 years time and see that it's, it's been reduced to rubble. You know, it's like, how do you build up the trust aspect of it, the transparency and what takes place when you're allocating and finding these projects and making sure that the custodianship in the long term is, is good? 
Yeah. And there's a huge, there's a huge onus and importance on us as a business as being as transparent and as strong on all those aspects as we possibly can, whether it's the investment side, whether it's the people that we partner with for products, whether it's the offset side. So that's why on the offsets, we only use the highest standard um, possible because there's a whole world of, of offset projects which may or may not be what you, you think they are. Trees is an interesting one because we plant trees when our customers refer their friends. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, it's one of it's part of the referral mechanism. And we actually probably will bring in like a tree planting mechanism in the product in the future because I think it's, it's a nice feel-good way um, of uh, of visualizing impact, but it's it's by no means the primary way to do it because obviously trees take a long time to deliver any impact whatsoever, and you need to, like you said, be sure that it's actually going to be seen through to fruition at some point. So if you're going to partner with someone like we do in the background, we try and partner with the best possible charity to help us with that. We partner with One Tree Planted on the website, so we. We have to do heavy DD on them. We have to do heavy DD on our offset projects. We have to do heavy DD on how we construct our investment portfolios and be as transparent and as strong on it as humanly possible, basically, because that's our reputation, that's our brand. Um, so we just we, we take those things as seriously as, as, as you'd expect us to take them because as a, we're a B Corp as well. So the, the, the B Corp certification, they've been through our business, they've seen the ins and outs of what we do. They've assessed the, the criteria we, we've used to work with people or to start the tree planting initiative. So um, it ha we have to hold it to an extremely excruciatingly high standard because there's a chance that if it doesn't work out right, our reputation is tarnished. Um, so mm. so yeah, we, um, that's the way we think about it. For B Corp, and obviously your, your business is focused on the impact space, but presumably you are for profit and you know, the way you've worked out your business model is, is for profit. Now, so how do, you, how do you think about that? Do you ever get sort of questions from from customers where they sort of expect you to be a, a sort of a, a charitable platform rather than a, a business performing a service for the good but also for the good of the people and planet but also for its own good yeah we probably get less questions than you think um from customers um and we get less questions now about having that dual purpose and how it relates to uh, a pure business purpose or a pure charity purpose. We've made no mistake and I've made no mistake in my previous life that I'm like uh, a capitalist with a, with a caveat, you know, so like mm -hmm. it's, it's, I don't, there's nothing wrong with profit motive and all that kind of stuff. It's just about how you derive it and where you get it from and what your business actually does. In fact, impact investment, um, take away us as a company, just the idea of investing in companies that are solving world problems is one of the key ways we can actually solve the problems because those companies can raise funds and scale uh, in ways that charities can't. So if you think about something like the UN Sustainable Development Goals, basically the big problems that we need to solve collectively as a, as a global society, they require so many trillions of, of capital to solve the problems that it can't be charities and government that do them. The bulk of it has to come from business. And business is in a unique position in that it can raise capital way easier um, and it can expand and it can accelerate and it can scale. So. We've seen over and over again over the years these amazing businesses come up for profit tackling a real social issue serving a massive underserved market with unmet demand and scaling being amazing investments and delivering massive social impact so we see ourselves as that we see ourselves like one of those underlying businesses doing that and i think the only way that we can do it and for us as a business the power of our platform the the, the scale of our impact is dictated by our scale because if you think about the financial inclusion issue we only really have meaningful impact if we get to millions and millions of customers in terms of financial inclusion as a problem 
and we only really have impact in driving people's money to these companies around the world if we have you know billions of capital going towards it as well so that's why scale is important for us as a business an impact business because we um we only truly have that impact at scale so that's why it's important for us to be able to raise the capital from venture capitalists for example and raise money from those people so that we can get to that in a reasonable time frame uh, to solve the problems that we all care about so i think that's why we we need to be a for-profit uh, startup in a traditional sense do you have a viewpoint on allocation of capital um you you gave me something that just spurred on this thought which is there's money can be moved into traditional projects versus money that can be deployed in new technologies mm. and, and how one would go about allocating between the two because obviously the risk of backing something that's going to be a, a leap forward technologically comes with the inherent risk of venture versus supporting projects that say more wind firm turbines and stuff like that so yeah. what's your ideological blend for you as an individual versus how you have to kind of cater to the, the good common sense and custodianship of your customers and their returns yeah it's, it's it's a good question and there's two completely different answers because i'm i'm a former and you know i'm current investment professional so that i'm aware of the risks that i can take with my money and i'm willing to wait be way more risky with my own personal money than i would ever advise anyone else to be because i've only got myself to blame if it goes to zero so i'm i'm fine trying to find super high impact, high risky things to invest in, because yes, they can deliver impact and they can have massive outsized returns and impact, um, but they could also go to zero. So I'm fine doing that for me. But I think for people that are coming into it for the first time, it's important, and this is why we designed the app the way we have, to have guardrails around it and to have certain things they can go into. And so they can build up that knowledge. Like my making that previous statement is because of 10, 11 years of work in the industry doing this as a profession. Um, if I hadn't, if it was just me in another life, but the same age, I wouldn't want to be advised to go and take massive risks with my money and lose it. I think I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to think a bit of as a, as a think of it as a way of building up my own personal money over time in a sustainable, long-term, sustainable sense for myself into good companies doing good stuff, and then maybe at a future point in time when I have the luxury of experience and maybe more money, take more risks. So I, the way I think about it for me is entirely different than the way the way I would think about it for for most people. I think you have three. You have a a low risk and a medium risk and a, and a high risk. How, how have they actually performed in terms of the returns? Yeah, uh, really well, or else I, w or else I would say uh, uh, it's too short a time frame to tell you, but it's, uh, they've done really well. And I think if you think about the high risk, that's basically all equities. Um, so all of the themes that we invest in have, have, have beaten the general stock market in terms of returns. Any time frame you want to cut them, um, they've done really, really well. They did especially well during that initial COVID market crash, all the themes and all the risk levels. So one of the one of the things that's helped us, it helps with growth, it helps with user experiences, the portfolios have continued to perform well. And the way I think about these things, forget impact. I, I never use the word ethical. I never use that word because it's not, that's something different and it has some connotations with it from from from, uh, from previous years the way to think about our investments are like future themes that are underpinned by some kind of social or environmental thing what you're really investing in is the companies of tomorrow and if those companies um do well and scale they should offer great return opportunities because all the themes that we're investing in are companies that are just trying to tackle big problems that we need to tackle in some way the climate's the obvious one so that problem isn't going away. We need more solutions, more scale solutions to it. So by uh, investing this way, that's the return argument for investing this way. Um, and that's kind of played through in, in the returns that we've seen and the customers have seen. And um, I, I say this with a, a degree of self-interest. So the most recent feature is the, the partnerships okay. aspects mm -hmm. of, of the app. And, and Elmo is, we're delighted to be, to be one of them alongside Trialist Bank and, and Grubby. Um, so, I mean, tell us how you plan to 
build yeah. that out and what was the the thinking behind it yeah i mean the 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 real thinking behind it is kind of how we see our future and how we see we us helping our customers have more impact in their lives because we like i said investing is one component and it's a great component and it's it'll always be our core component because of how we started the business and our backgrounds but there's other ways to impact the world and one of the main things we can do is help our customers consume stuff better um whether that's drive the cars they drive whether that's the, who they bank with, their energy provider. These are all obvious starting points. And I think what we'd like to do in the future is build that out into every area of their life so that that part of Ticker, that spend better, that partnerships place becomes like the hub to find out the most impactful businesses in the world. And we can act as like a conduit from our user base who obviously care about impact because they're coming to us to all these other amazing businesses around the world that are tackling different areas of impact problems in different ways. And I think if we can do that, we can make a dent on changing people's consumption. I think the, the great thing with, with Elmo and others is there's no there's, there's nothing you're giving up to change how you're spending. In fact, the products are better. And I think that's what we want to show to everyone is that just because something's impactful doesn't mean it's worse. In fact, we think it's better. And these, and these are the best providers that we think for you. And I think it, again, has real power at scale. If you have five million people doing doing that every month investing that way offsetting the footprint and spending better what is the impact of that i think it's huge so um we see it as a huge part of the business and i think i think it's a massive opportunity because i think a lot of our generation the more you speak with them anecdotally or you look at data they're trying to find ways to do it they're trying to find ways to spend better they want to be as impactful as they possibly can and how can we help with that i think this is the way we do it well i, I think given recent this recent weeks um the wall street bets example being one of them it's shown the the power of collective spending i mean albeit mm. to tackle the hedge funds but you know if you think about that collective purchasing power going towards impact it's, it's obviously considerable so mm. on that note i mean how are you looking traction wise in terms of user base user growth um and within that what is the kpi that you hold most important for yourself as a, as a manager of this business is it impact or, or is it assets under management or is it money moved into impact um any mm. clarity on that would be great yeah good all good questions yeah it's been a very interesting few weeks for people that work in the investment industry or not even um and we actually hosted an event last night on clubhouse obviously because we're cool and we're on clubhouse mm. you know um yeah, sure talking about this exact thing and um because we, we wrote a couple of i wrote a blog post and we wrote an article about saying trading isn't investing you know, it's, um, so it was all about that angle on it and how training is more akin to betting and investing is something entirely separate. However, I think the yeah. main positive that I take out of all of this is uh, there's an appetite and, and to invest that's, come, that, that's, that's, that's only growing, it seems. Um, and I think if we can harness that correctly and teach people to invest properly for the long term and do it in impactful companies, it'll be good for them and good for everyone else. Like imagine if like, you hit the nail on the head and we said it last night. Imagine if that attention from GameStop could have been harnessed into a you know a positive impact company and help them to then raise more money because the stock price was higher and then help them to have more impact. I mean, to an extent, it's been done a little bit with Tesla. They've 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 ramped up so much, then they've raised more money and it's helped them fulfill the kind of dream. So I think it shows you the power that we can actually have in capital markets to impact the world. It just needs to be nudged in the right direction. So I take the, I think there's a positive from it, and I think we as a business operating in that kind of related sector. We, we residually benefit from the interest and, and we've had uh, by far the biggest um, new user month we ever had in January. It's continued through February as well. Because I think 
people are there's two big trends that we're a part of the, the first is i want to provide for my own future i think that's only strengthened in the past year because of the situation that we've been in and the second is and i want to do it while having a positive impact that's only strengthened probably even more so so we've um we've continued to to have amazing the best growth we've, we've seen um since we launched the business which is great um and we do i focus i do focus heavily on customers um as a as a driving metric eight assets come and the assets under management are growing at a, a way faster rate than the actual customers are the customers are going very very strong mm. but the assets are going even faster but the reason why i focus on customers in the short term is because i think us as a platform our impact is tied to the amount of engaged people we have versus the assets under management because if you think about this right the biggest investment company in the world is blackrock they have like 10 trillion dollars under management it's going to take us a little while to get bigger than them, let's be honest. But what we could have quicker than them is actually 10 million customers who are 31 years old and engage with impact. What could the clout of those 10 million customers achieve versus the 10 trillion of, 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 uh, of, of assets? I think our, our customers will outweigh our assets in importance. For example, in the future, you know, if we deem a company to not be doing the right thing, what could we, what a vote we could put to our 10 million customers and they say, right, they're no longer an impact company. What ripple effect could ha that have on a consumer company that relies on those 10 million as customers? So I think we have an ability to mm -hmm. change corporate behavior because of the size of our customer base versus the size of our assets. And I think that's our real power. This, this reminds me of, of playing Risk the other day and I was down and on my knees apart from this one country I had left with about 20 units on it. And my bargaining chip was to not go on a, on a suicide run towards... <laughs> one of the two people are sandwiched between and it's like you will have this this almost like blitzkrieg-esque power you know as you said you're not going to be black rock that quickly because obviously they're enormous but um the the damage that could do to one individual company is is considerable um will you attempt to build bridges with those companies to to communicate with them or lobby with them about practices ever like you know rather than sort of say we'll pull the rug under your feet it's a yeah pull the rug would be the last resort and and uh, i think Ideally, when we're at size, where we're prominent, um, I think the, we, we try and improve the companies as best as we could. We try and engage with them on, on stuff that we'd like them to improve, that kind of thing. Um, again, it's that the impact that we have happens at scale. And I think um, that's another element of how we could have impact at scale as a business. Um, and I think we'd always take that approach first and foremost. Yeah. And so I just want to ask a question. Like yeah. how, how, how are you going to get to that scale? Favorite. The million, the million or billion dollar question. Um, so we can't just be a UK UK business for that. We have to be wider than that. Um, so we, the idea is we're a European wide business as soon as possible. I think uh, I think we need to scale quicker than people think uh, that we perhaps need to, or some people think we need to scale even faster than than, than we are doing. So I think it I think it involves. Not just the product roadmap, not just the marketing roadmap. There's, there's a, the, 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 not just the hiring roadmap. There has to be an international roadmap that's already there, and we need to do it way quicker than people think. And I think the the the, the argument for us to scale again isn't just the scaling for scaling's sake. It isn't just to be an X-valued business. I don't really care about that. It's to have as much impact as possible. Um, what could we do with 10 million customers? What could we do with a billion of AUM? What could we do with products like how the how the, the spend better section is going to get built out? That's what drives us, and uh, and I think we we need to raise the money to go as quickly as we can um, and expand it as internationally as quickly as we can. 
And, and a question on that in terms of collaboration with other companies doing good, because the one thing that is interesting, obviously, about the kind of capitalistic angle on this is you have an obligation to grow. There will be others doing impactful things that want to grow. Mm-hmm. And the last thing anybody really wants is ad spend to be you know, put towards Facebook or Google and then to mop up all the ad spend of two companies competing with each other. So the conversations you would have with other well-meaning organizations in this space, what do they look like? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're finalizing a few more that are, that, that are meaningful. And I think what we're, what we're trying to do, like holy grail for some of the most partnerships with B Corps and sustainable businesses as they are two-way, you know, so we are we are driving customers to you and then you are driving customers to us. And I think that's a way that we can scale really sustainably and really efficiently. And we can. And the benefit of that is, it's like the Elmo customer would also likely be a ticket customer as well, right? Because they clearly care about similar things. So if we can continue to partner with people that, that are B Corps and sustainable businesses like, like, like we both are um, and acquire customers from each other, then we can propel each other both up. Um, and I think that's the way that we can, we can get to those, you know, that, those thresholds of customers quicker. And, and how excited are you for what we can do with the climate? I mean, as in, do you feel optimistic? You're at the forefront of this, trying to help it. So are you seeing change happen quickly? And are, are these organizations really doing some, some exciting and some innovative stuff? Yeah, I am naturally an optimist because I've started a business. <laughs> if I was a pessimist, I probably wouldn't have left my job. But um, at moments in my, in my career history, I have not been an optimist when it comes to the climate, even though it's like, it's like uh, I would then an imperfect analogy would be you know, like five 0 down at football. I'm still going to play to win, but I think we're going to lose the game kind of thing. So I I, mm-hmm. I would always fight for it. I would always give my career and everything I've got to the cause. But a part of my my past, I thought we're never going to do anything. We're never going to change a single thing, or it'll be too late, and then and then uh, it it won't happen. But I've, but now I I think differently. I think I think the the um, it feels like change is happening faster now. It's like all these things, like they take ages to bubble up and bubble up and think they're never going to happen. And then all of a sudden things start to happen. And I think the past two years, the way it's gone, specifically for climate, but you can talk about other social movements like equality and, and, and uh, diversity is happening too properly. It's given me real hope that I think we can actually make a change. And I think a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have engaged in this five years ago are starting to engage in it in a serious way. Some of them in an unserious way, some of them in a... In a you know, because it's a trend kind of way. But I think a lot of people's minds are being changed. And I think once uh, once that continues and that compounds like a month-over-month growth rate, I think it'll be amazing to see what we can achieve. I think, like, just data points, like the past 10 years for, like, wind and solar energy specifically, like, that's been an amazing price compression. Like, you've never seen anything before. And then the next 10 years, you'll see storage of that get to a level that you would never have expected before. And then like the, the game has started to be won by then. And I think mm. we, um, that's what gives me hope is those little data points like that. I think the, the attention of smart people and with government incentives and massive investment compound that over time. I think we'll get there. I think we'll do something. Um, and I'm more confident than ever. So you're planning on having, you're still planning on having children. You know what? That's that's changed as well. You know that's changed. I I used to be like, no, I'm not going to do it, and some of that was was semi climate related. But um, I look forward. To <laughs> I, I look I look forward to having children. I do. Um, Matt, who's the founder of the business, the founder of the business, he's got three kids, so he's had he's had enough for both of us. But I might add a few more on there. Um, but yeah, I uh, I I'm now more optimistic about that prospect. Yeah. Um, and do you have any pins? I was watching a good video um, the other day. It was talking about 
the potential for nuclear mm. and how that plays a role. I mean, do you, do you have a view on that? It's just And that's asking you as an individual, not you as the founder of Ticket necessarily. Yeah, I've looked into this a lot in the past and again recently um, as an individual. Um, and a guy that I used to work with who's one of the smartest guys I've ever met, he's, um, and he's a climate change researcher, former economist, but a researcher in the, in the US, he thinks it should be a major part of the mix because um, because of the potential of it. It's just that there's been no real attention and R&D devoted to some of the problems with it for so long. But I think if we're going to stand a chance of, of, of getting to the point of uh, where we need to get to with the, the, the climate accord and things like that, it has to be considered part of the mix. And I think a lot of attention has to be made towards reducing the initial settle costs and the dangers with with the waste and the storage and that kind of thing i think it would be i think it would be a crying shame to not invest in the research to see if it can be safer and cheaper because it's such a it's such an amazing source of energy obviously when we get it right so i think it should form part of the mix as a personal opinion see a value-driven business how do you think about your your hiring strategy i'm, I'm not sure what size your team is at now but obviously we were discussing a bit yeah. before the podcast about the challenges with remote working and how important is it for, to get those values consistent across the business and, and how hard is that or how hard has that been for you? It's getting easier because hmm. we get, oh, sorry, it's not, get, we're having so many people so fast, that's harder, but attracting the right people is easy because we're now we're getting a better, we're getting a bigger, bigger reputation, um, and the trends in which the business sits are only going in one you know, direction. So that element is getting uh, better, but we control very strongly for um, why the person wants to come and join us. Um, and we have some specific things we go through into, we have an internal like cultural manifesto about the stuff that we believe in and the way we work and the people we want to work with and stuff like that. Um, and we hire with that in mind very, very closely because that the motivation to work for us has to come from the the, the future vision of the company and, and the DNA, that impact DNA. It's what will make you do the extra bit of work. It's what will make you get out of bed every morning. Um, you can't just see this as another kind of like fintech tech startup where you're going to come and you know blah 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 blah. I think it has to. We have to connect with people on a on a, on a deeper level, and that's what we're trying to control for um, when we're hiring people now. And the team's like about 25, 26 people. It'll be about 40 in about six to eight weeks, and then. And then maybe, you know, double that maybe by the end of the year, depending on how quickly we grow. So we're, we're growing very fast now in terms of personnel. Um, so it's super important that those core motivations for joining us are really embedded in the person. And we kind of, we need them that to be demonstrated somehow in the interview process. We need to, we need them to be like banging on the table, telling us that they care about these things. Um, because, because everyone in the team has that. And we, we that's what we really, really want to, really want to keep. And Tom, what, what roles are you typically focusing on? Because I guess there's a lot of challenges here, whether it be partnerships or whether it be the, the tech stack that you need to build out. I mean, I only say that because the algorithm, the pricing engines to price in impact in the climate could just be never ending almost. So how are you focusing the attention on, on growing all those components and which teams are now escalating the most? Yeah, I mean, it, you, you, you hit it really. It's the, the engineering team, obviously, and the engineering product teams are, are scaling rapidly because the product is becoming multifaceted we need different squads and different different sets of individuals working on different elements of the product then it becomes more complex and you've got to tie it all together so uh, product managers product designers engineers engineering leadership that's that's a that's a heavy part 
And then the other side of the business, which is more the marketing growth side, branding, comms, content, um, all around impact and beyond. So those are the big two chunks of, of the business that we're, that we're hiring for um, uh, at the moment and, and probably will be for as long as we're around. How have you found it moving from the roles you had pre in previous jobs to then managing, presumably you started out as a small co-founding team and now, you know, the sort of scale of, of, of personnel that you're talking about? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I live for it. I um, It's what exactly what I wanted, um, but nothing can prepare you for it fully. I mean, I was a very frustrated corporate employee. I was a very, very frustrated corporate employee. I didn't get politics. I didn't do them, which which was not good for my career. Um, mm. I spoke plainly and spoke honestly. I'm from I'm from Wigan and I don't know how else to operate. Um, and and uh, there was a lot of things that I didn't like in corporate, nothing against the organization I worked for. They're both brilliant for me and I love the people there, but it just wasn't for me. And I, I now I feel like I thrive more in this environment. It's faster pace. I actually get to make proper decisions all the time. Obviously I have like decision-making responsibility overdrive now, but versus what I had before. Um, and Matt, Matt and I always say that it's the, it's simultaneously the most uh, enjoyable and stressful thing we've ever done. Um, but I love, I love learning. I love working hard. Um, I love, I, I love those two things. Um, so I get to do that all the time with people that I really enjoy doing it with. Um, and, uh, and I feel very lucky because of that. Well, I was going to say, is there a key component here, which helps the self-sacrifice, which is simply, you know, in those dark times, you can just say, I'm, I'm doing good. You know, yeah. is that where you think other people who start companies may let go of the roller coaster because they just think, what is this all about? Yeah. It's funny. Like before, um, I talked about that story where I met Eric in that lift and that kind of that, that moment, that interaction. I knew I actually said to myself in my head at the time, this is what I'm going to be doing for 30 or more years. I felt like I found the thing I was searching for. Right. And I thought that sounds like such a random cliche. That's bullshit. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear or not, but it sounds like a line that someone uses in a story. You know what I mean? That's not true. And I'd heard people say these things before in the past to me. And I'd be like, that is just rubbish. That doesn't, that's not, that's not what happens. You just do a job and you get good at it. And, da -da -da -da. and and it was and it was right in that moment it was right and i just i'd found something that really connected with me and my personality and how i like to work and then i just needed to take it into a forum which got the best out of me which was this starting this company and working with this team um but that core desire for impact investing i've said i said it all the time i said it to uh, our board I said if for whatever reason i'm no longer you no longer want me at ticker i'll be doing impact investing somewhere else I'll, I'll be doing mm. it. Till, I'll be doing it to my dying day, basically, because I see it as a way of me having a positive influence on the world and changing the world in a better direction. So whether it's here or somewhere else, I'll do it. And whether whether I'm no longer good enough for this company or not, I'll, I'll be I'll be involved in impact investing somewhere. Tom, a challenge for your your dying day would be to make uh, renewable energy powered crematoria, perhaps, <laughs> where you can just carbon off carbon offset your own death. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. that. That's a great shout. I'll I'll start working on it. <laughs> It sounds like that that lift trip with Eric was the the actual elevator pitch for your for your entire life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I owe, I owe him a lot. Yeah, I speak to him all the time still. And, uh, he's a, but I mean, a mil, he had yeah, he had that effect on a million people that worked with him. He's one of those people. Like he's just an inspirational guy. Everyone that works with him is inspired, you know. And he's a he's a phenomenal character. Do you think that the finance financial world, um, as you used to know it, is is still lagging behind? Are they still just in, in old archaic practices? Um, or do you think they're moving pretty quickly as well? I don't think they're moving quickly. I think some companies are moving quicker than others. Um, 
some companies that I know well that are that are now taking impact seriously and, and mobilizing. Um, but there's still the vast majority are either just paying lip service to it, saying they're doing it and then they're not at all, or or they're not doing it yet. But they will have to, and the, the laggards will be, you know, will be, uh, will be there to their detriment um, because the whole industry is moving this way. I keep saying, you know, in ten years there'll be no such thing as impact investing; it'll just be called investing, and I think that's true. Mm. I think it'll, hopefully, it'll be less than ten years, um, and I think the ones that are getting on board now stand themselves, you know, a good chance of being the big companies of the future still, uh, instead of being completely left behind. But I think. There's more in the industry taking it seriously now than there was five years ago. It's by no means the majority, um, but everyone is talking about it, even the ones that aren't doing it. And I think that'll, that, that'll lead eventually to proper action. Just a final question before we move to the, the quickfire, I think. To someone who doesn't has, has never done any online investing, also understands the concept of impact and the groundswell of public opinion for it, wants to start making a difference, what do you say to them? Obviously, you say come and come and check out the the ticker app, but what else can you say to to to, to empower them? I've never been asked that question specifically before. Um, I think it's a great one. So, I'm a, a semi extreme character in, in how I diagnose my 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 own areas to improve. So, when I first heard about um, impact, I went vegan for three years and I went from eating meat for breakfast one day to vegan for three years, like hardcore vegan. And I'm no longer that. I'm like somewhere very much in in the middle. Um, I, don't, I rarely eat red meat, for example, because that's, that's a big climate problem, but I've, uh, I've found balance with it. So I wouldn't ever recommend anyone do that. But what I would recommend is start making a small step on, on looking at what you eat, how you consume stuff, and then take that for a while. And then maybe look at how you spend money and where you spend it and look at those companies and just start taking baby steps because the worst thing you can do is overwhelm people and make them do lots of changes. Um, if you talk to any, like, any uh, personal trainers or anyone that works in the fitness industry, it's like important, small, incremental changes that add up over the long term. And then in two years' time, the way you do things are completely different. I think that would be the right approach. So the food you eat, the, the, the where you buy stuff, where your money's sat, what that company's doing, just add that up over time and start making little incremental changes and, and you can start to have a real big impact. And I haven't had a chance to look through some of the, the resources on, on the Ticker website, but is that something that you talk about in the in the content that you produce? We will, and we are, but it's not out yet. So we're actually, um, this year there's a lot of content that's going to be coming out for us that we've already recorded some of it. And there's going to be three different podcast series that we're doing, um, some video content. Um, some of it is like finance 101 educational stuff. A lot of it is anchored in impact, whether that's investing or beyond. Um, and discussing all these themes that we care about and what we'll start to do is organize it on the website in like a nice way for people to learn and dig in and, and go through so it will be there it's working on the background it's not it's not on there at the moment though no. uh, give us a give us a give us a month or so and it'll start to be released i think and why in particular did you choose the the podcast format the, i mean I, I wish there was more science to this but there was when pre-covid we used to do these two events at our offices every month and 200 customers would come down and we there was great events, like great atmospheres. We teach about investing, we teach about impact, and um, we learn a lot about our customers. That was like a residual benefit to it. We didn't do it for that, but we started to learn an awful lot. And then COVID hit, and Matt and I were just like, look, let's just record some podcasts. We just get on Zoom, record it, and ping sure. it out. No script, like five minutes of planning, let's chat about this. And, you know, there was bird noises, dogs barking, you know, we'd, you know <laughs> sometimes dead-end questions, dead-end things. You know, there was no planning whatsoever. 
And we did about six or seven of them, and the response was was way too good, basically. Um, so we stopped doing them because we were like, right, now we need the audience for it grew beyond the ticket customer base. We started to get in the top Apple podcasts for that sector, and we were like, right, we actually need to put some thought into what we're doing here. Um, so we went away, started to put together like a proper plan, and that's um, that's why we're going heavy on that because we you know we just see it as a as a cool way of reaching our customers and beyond and building you know a voice and a brand and a, even with very little effort it started to work. So now we want to put some like proper conscious thought into what we're talking about and why and how it's ordered and where it comes out. And I think the whole thing we get it right and we're very valuable. Well, I think Clubhouse is probably a good medium for you in that, in terms of just being able to have that two-way discussion. It seems that people want to listen, mm-hmm. which is a podcast format, but also want to be able to discuss back and forward. So, I mean, I think whichever avenue you explore, just opening up more dialogue is, is good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Clubhouse is great for that. I'd be interested to see how that platform develops. Um, but the one we did yeah. last night was, was cool because we get to have that two-way dialogue. And it was, like, it was more like the in-person event. Because people come on stage and ask questions, and that's it's nice to interact with people and see how they're feeling and see how the the content lands and all that kind of stuff. So it's valuable. Were you were you privy to the people um, losing their mind because Mark Zuckerberg appeared in random clubhouses yesterday? Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he, he was going all all around clubhouse. So I don't know if you saw him, but um, I, I didn't. But I had some people this morning who were sort of just fangirling. He came into ours, but he didn't understand the content. And they left. I've got a hard stop in, in five minutes so if, if Ed if you're happy to move to the quick fire I will I'll shoot with it certainly so uh, Tom first and foremost do you have a prediction for the future I've already told it you yeah, it's annoying but I'll, I'm going to say it again because I have nothing else to say, say again. But, uh, it's um, I think in five ten years time impact investing should be called investing like there'll be three dimensions to investing once upon a time it was just about return then risk came along and now and then impact will be considered in every single investment decision in the future and it'll just be the de facto way we do things uh, that's my prediction second a startup book or resource um that you think is incredibly useful has helped you get to uh, where you are today I have just loads of cliched answers unfortunately but the one that i really enjoy is the hard thing about hard things by uh ben horowitz it's uh it's uh it's probably been recommended a million times by everybody but i give it to i, I recommend it to every new joiner that we start because it's like the, a proper window into into the problems you face when you're trying to do this thing um and i got a lot out of it personally i think i think re, like reminding people because if they haven't read it it's like do, do read it they continue to keep giving value or reread it sometimes rereading books yeah. is, is really good as well um if you could have some dinner guests for you tonight that we could organize for you who would you like to sit down and sort of have a good old chinwag with over dinner i'm going to give you a uh, this is a, a soppy non-startup answer because it's but it's the one that came to mind when i when i saw the question so my, my girlfriend's from malaysia and she's not been able to visit a family for a long time because of covid and as a consequence i haven't met them yet and we do video calls all the time we speak to them all the time she's very homesick and i'd love to meet them so i'd love to be able to have dinner with her family um, all together um, tonight, that'd be that'd be a dream. You are, you are genuinely a good human being. That's a that's a decent personal answer. It's not what we've seen through the facade there. That was that's lovely. Um, and the last one would be the best advice you've ever given or, or received. I had a lot, I've had a lot of good advice. Um, the guy, one of, what, my guy, the guy who was my first boss at Barclays, a guy called Karan Sejpal, and he used to come out with. Um, He's come out with gems all the time, like every day, like 50 things. I don't know where you get them from. Um, one of the ones, 
one of the ones that always stuck in my head. It's not like impact or perfect, but it was that no one ever got rich from saving money. And that was his way of saying, be entrepreneurial, take risks, um, you know, go for it, basically. And it, it, it always sticks in my head. Not that I'm, I'm not motivated by getting rich, but what it said to me was, you have an opportunity to do something, just go and do it. You know, so yeah, um, mm. that always sticks in my head. Cool. Um, finally, well, you've won at least two two additional customers through this interview, and, I, and I'm I'm hopeful that through our audience, you 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 win a lot more too. And so, to end, we like to give you the opportunity to ask ask our listeners anything you want. So, I would say that the best thing anyone can give us is feedback on what we're doing, whether that's content, whether that's the app itself. Um, we listen and, and read everything um, that we get given, and it helps us with the product roadmap. So that's the, be- that's the kindest and best thing anyone can do for us is give, give us honest, open feedback about who we are and what we're doing. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike M-I-C, or get us an email, audiored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.